1: Hyundai's coming, and the project is going to change Savannah's economy forever. So says Georgia Southern economist Michael Toma. The good professor and I unpack what Hyundai's auto plant and EV battery factory will mean for the region on this episode of the Commute Podcast. Good day from all of us here at savannahnow.com. This is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. And I am your host, Adam Van Brimmer, opinion columnist and a deputy editor at Savannah Morning News. On this edition of The Commute, a follow-up to my recent discussion with Georgia Southern economics professor Michael Toma, this time with an eye toward the opening of the Hyundai plant in Bryan County, and how we need to be preparing for this latest economic driver right now. But first, a word about our sponsor, National Office Systems. National Office Systems has been The Commute's benefactor since the podcast start. And they've been in business long before that, since the 1980s, in fact. In those early days, National Office Systems was the last office outfitter in the country to carry office furniture from both of the industry's leaders, Herman Miller and Knoll. Now, a couple of decades later, those furniture companies are collaborating in a new product line, and National Office Systems is one of the first to offer Miller Knoll furniture. In addition to Miller Knoll, National Office Systems remains the leader in the office design and outfitting sector. Offering of dirt modular interiors, LFS furniture, and 205 blinds. Learn more by visiting www.natoffcys.com That's www.natoffcys.com Now, here's the Hyundai discussion with Michael Tomah. ...for our quarterly check-in on the Savannah economy by Michael who is a professor of economics at Georgia Southern University out on the Armstrong campus and. As listeners know, and as Michael knows, I'm ai have a, an interest in economics, and I know just enough to be dangerous. About forty percent of what I think is true is true on average. And Michael is here to correct me and give everything the real lowdown. So, Michael, let's start broad and then come down to the local level. Broad, everybody right now is talking about inflation. People ask me about inflation. Oh gosh, how bad is this? And I'm like, well, same time, look at the labor market. Unemployment's really, really low. Wages are rising. One legacy of the pandemic, it's that we are short on supply in everything. So I'm not panicked about inflation. Am I wrong to not be panicked by inflation?
0: Um, inflation is is uh, sometimes referred to, I think, as the most insidious tax. I think that's a quote from Ronald Reagan because its its adverse effects tend to fall most heavily on individuals with fixed incomes and individuals with lower incomes who are spending more of their their take home income from their jobs and such on consumer goods, basic consumer staples like gas, groceries, and all those things. Exactly. So. Um, you know, I think panic is, 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 you know, not quite the right word. I think concerned. Um, I don't think we should just brush away the, the adverse effects of inflation, particularly because they fall so heavily on, on lower income households and households on fixed incomes, you know, retirees and such that are trying to live on a fixed uh, uh, pension uh, and social security. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, it is meritorious for policymakers to think about ways to reduce <clears throat> the inflation rate. Um, the inflation that we're seeing right now, yesterday's report, I think 9.1% on the consumer side, and today's report, uh, 10.3% for inputs that uh, manufacturers, producers need to, to conduct their operations. Those are you know, 40-year highs. And they're slightly worse than they were um, in the, than the May report for both consumer and, and mm-hmm. uh, producer inflation. So those, those numbers are beginning to become ingrained a little bit in terms of inflation. And that sets up uh, what's referred to as an inflationary spiral in the sense that if employers uh, you know, know that their inputs are going to cost more, And workers know that, you know, their dollars aren't going as far as they were in the past. Uh, Workers are going to start to negotiate for higher wages. Employers are going to to know that and anticipate their labor costs are going to rise. And then to the extent that producers can, those prices, you know, rising prices effectively become a self-fulfilling process. Uh, prophecy, because the employers have to account for higher wages in the prices of the products that they produce and offer to consumers. So, you know, we see this inflationary spiral potentially starting to take root, and I think that probably has uh, the Federal Reserve highly concerned. Is is that the inflation that we're seeing is no longer transitory; it's potentially becoming entrenched, and that's a, a deeper economic problem, a harder economic problem for the Fed to solve. Um, you know, the Fed is in some sense is limited in what it, it can do to reduce inflation. It effectively has to, to take out the demand side of the economy or certainly tamp it down uh, in terms of its strength. And, you know, we saw this cons- this explosion of consumer expending um, post-COVID in the sense that we're sort of post-COVID. We're post-lockdown, right? But we're not exactly post-COVID at this point. So consumer spending, particularly in services, you know, accelerated very rapidly. Um, and so that's, that's when we talk about demand, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. The Fed has the ability to tamp that down by, by raising interest rates that affects everybody in, in, terms of, in terms of consumers with your mortgage rates and your, your auto loan rates and your consumer credit card interest rates. Uh, Fed policy indirectly affects all of those. And so that type of activity will get dampened down in the economy and it also makes it more costly for firms to borrow. And so their investment in capital goods is also going to weaken as a result of that. So that's the private side of the economy, right? That's uh, consumers and that's uh, private businesses investment. And so uh, that demand uh, is going to be reduced somewhat in in the broad macro economy and it should slowly begin to uh, erode inflation. Now, the difficulty that the Fed is facing right now is, is that the inflation that we see is not strictly its fault from quantitative easing of five years ago and three years ago, three years ago to address an, uh, a really weak economy. Um, it, you know, it, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me is, is, you know, if the Fed, you know, folks, it's fashionable to beat up on the Fed, Right. Right, it's the Fed's fault, right? The Fed printed, you know, pallets of money. First of all, the Fed doesn't print money; the Treasury Department does. Um, and second, well, how can we explain the logic to me in which quantitative easing from five years ago caused inflation today? Right, so that that link maybe there's a contributing factor there, um, but why the five year lag? That you know, that doesn't quite add up in my my view. Um, in addition, you know, well, that's but that's that completely absolve the Fed of everything, right? Because the Fed, you know, didn't act as fast as, as many people hoped it would act when inflation started to build. But you've also got all these supply side factors that are really constraining the ability of firms to produce what people want to buy. And so, you know, if you constrain the supply side, right? If you limit supply, just in the very broadest sense, less supply given any amount of demand means higher prices. And so you've got manufacturing supply side constraints emerging in China because their approach to COVID is is different than it is in the U.S. or Western Europe. Um, you've got logistic problems in terms of moving goods around within the country and also getting goods into the country on the uh, the the global fleet of uh, container vessels and other types of freighters. Um, that's you know costs that causes the just the price of, of moving, it, co- it causes an increase in the cost of moving things, uh, getting stuff onto the shelves and target and Walmart and wherever into the grocery store and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, wherever you buy things, it costs more to put that stuff on the shelf uh, because of these supply constraints and transportation costs are increased. Fuel prices are increased. Um, so, you know, the war in Ukraine didn't happen because the federal reserve did or didn't act that happened. That was an exogenous outside factor. So, you know, while it's fashionable to beat up on the fed, there's certainly far more things that are going on in the macro economy that are outside of the feds controls and the policy that the fed has at its disposal to influence the macro economy is really limited to just the demand side of the economy. The fed can't fix supply side problems, which are just, permeating through the economy right now so right what does that mean that means inflation is going to be with us for a while i think um until we start to see supply side factors dissipate uh, until the transportation logistics chains begin to work more smoothly uh perhaps as as you know, if, if the uh, conflict of uh, the war in Ukraine is resolved within the next six to 12 months, you know, that should have an impact on global commodity prices and reduce prices in those markets. So um, you know, do I think we're going to be a 10 percent inflation and 9 percent inflation a year from now? No, not at all. I think we'll start to see inflation rates slowly begin to drift down through the remaining portion of this year. Uh, But if we manage to get to 6% inflation by December, that will be considered a success. You know, it still won't, uh, it's unlikely that the inflation rate will still be 10% by the end of this year, but that really doesn't, you know, consumers who are dealing with visibly, every time you go to the grocery store, you're visibly in, you know, you see the increase in the cost of the th- prices of the things that you're buying. And so, you know, consumers are going to be stressed through the remainder of the year with higher prices, you know, at least on the plus side here in our regional economy, wages, at least through the first quarter data, um, wages are, are increased significantly to help you know offset that on the private sector, uh, the wage growth in, from Uh, the first quarter of 2021 to the first quarter of 2022 was really spectacular, almost 14%. That's not sustainable. That's not going to be the case in second quarter data that it was right. It was a lot of catching up because through the first half of last year, when nationwide wage rates were increasing by five or six percentage points, our wages were flat in our three County Metro area. So there's a little bit of a catch up going on here and i think what we'll see in the second quarter data is much more moderate probably on the order of that national rate of 5 or 6%. again that sounds good right your your wages are up by 5 or 6% but that's not so great if inflation is 9%, right? you're still losing ground. so households are still going to be stressed particularly the low income households and households living on fixed incomes.
1: it closes the loop on inflation it's it's going to be a tough needle to thread right bring inflation down without <laughs> seeing unemployment jump up and you know, some of the factors we got going on here. I don't necessarily think here but maybe elsewhere. How do we how does the Fed, how do how does the broader economy, how do we thread that needle to 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 meet these inflation demands without seeing a bunch of people back on the floor? Pardon the interruption here. I promise you we'll get back to Hyundai and Savannah and the discussion with economics professor Michael Toma here in a moment. In the meantime, though, allow me to squeeze in a public service announcement regarding the Savannah Morning News. I know a lot of readers out there consume our news content in the print edition. First, thank you. We love you for it, keep doing it. But we'd also like to encourage you to take a moment, go to your computer or cell phone and join our digital communities. At savannanow.com, you can activate the digital side of your subscription by logging in through the link at the top right-hand corner of the homepage. And on mobile, you can download our app, log in, and have access, including notifications. That's if you want. Sometimes I find it a little pesky, but it's also good to know when news is breaking. And on mobile, you can download our app, log in, and have access to all of our content. You can even get notifications if you Sometimes uh, it's Fed, good to
0: know that's the exactly what it's breaking. Again, kind of access to those
1: platforms are
0: in, in which the your Fed subscription has the ability to perfectly to set the interest to rates now, to, to just perfectly make process demand process diminish it. enough, but not enough so that everybody loses their job kind of thing. That's an understatement, of course. But... Um, that's the tough part. And the fed is, is in some senses in uncharted waters here with all these supply side Mm -hmm. factors. And we haven't seen inflation like this in 40 years. So, you know, folks who are working at the fed, you know, most of those folks who live through that experience are long since retired and gone on their way. And so the professional experience is more limited in terms of, Hey, what do we do about this? What can we do? What can we hope to meaningfully, you know, implement it has an effect on inflation so threading the needle i think is going to be tough Um, because the fed's policy tools are really limited in an environment of supply constraints anything that the fed does at this point is going to have an effect on employment and at the margin pushes us closer towards job losses and a recession i don't think it would be a deep recession i think it would be more of a mild recession primarily because of the the shortage and the labor market shortage. Our labor markets are really tight. We are at a historically low unemployment rate, both nationally and regionally. So if the unemployment rate does rise, which it will some, you know, a reasonable estimate might be somewhere, you know, 5%, possibly 6%, but I don't think much more beyond that simply because labor markets are so tight right now. So most of what I'm, you know, seeing and thinking about on my own is that you know, we're looking at probably a mild recession. And that's, I think, probably the best that we can hope for given the you know, the increasingly entrenched level of inflation in the economy that makes the Fed's job more difficult, which means it has to restrict money supply growth more than it had anticipated, even three to four months ago. So now, um, you know, with with the release of the inflation rate yesterday, um, market participants in, in the financial sector, mm-hmm. um, they're anticipating not only a three-quarter percentage point increase at the next Fed meeting, which is in several weeks, but even a possibility of full percentage point increase in the federal funds rate, which would be um, unprecedented. Uh, a three-quarter percentage point increase from the last cycle was in unprecedented in and of itself, but at least it, it tied, right? It kind of tied the highest rate increase that we've ever seen. A one percentage point increase would has the potential to really influence equity markets because that would be a, a surprise in some senses because the Fed has never done that before. Um, but I think it's probably more likely we'll see a three quarter point increase, um, in the federal funds rate, the next cycle uh, for the Fed meeting. So, borrow money now. <laughs> <laughs> borrow money now. <laughs> Those interest rates will 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 continue to drift up. So, and kind of closing the loop, um, Fed policy is more likely to push us towards a recession, but it won't be a deep recession on a national level, simply because mm-hmm. labor markets are so tight. Right. Well, I'm going
1: to come back to labor locally. We'll, we'll talk about how they down the road. Let's stay with supply side and talk about what's going on. the ports. the the monitor noted that the container moves are slowing. Uh, Of course, last year we had a lot of ships that couldn't get in and offload, and there was a backup of containers. A lot of that has eased. But when we see stuff uh, slowing, is that just there's fewer ships offloading, or is it farther down the supply chain that's getting blocked up and that's slowing?
0: There are a lot of complications right now in the whole logistics uh, and transportation network on a nationwide basis. Um, The ports connect to the nation's rail systems and the rail systems are backing up because there's a shortage of of carriages and there's a shortage of of carriages available to put all those containers on. There's a shortage of those uh, carriages because it's difficult to offload the carriages in our rail facilities because there's a shortage of labor. Okay. And so everything begins to back up. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to get uh, containers from the West coast of you know, Los Angeles, Long Beach port to Chicago, for example. So we move lots of stuff from our ports to the interior portion of the country, primarily on the rail system. And so there's backups throughout that system. Um, and so if there's a shortage of carriages, that means it's harder to put containers onto the carriages, which means the containers are going to stay in the, in the rail transshipment points um, and in the ports on a longer term basis than they normally would. So a container might sit on, the, uh, on a port facility uh, generally, maybe say let's say a week, and now it might be sitting in a port facility for 10 to 12 days right because there's not the capacity to move those containers throughout the entire you know logistics network so um combine that with slowing global growth too so if if global economic growth is slowing somewhat um, because the United States is not the only country that's feeling these economic macroeconomic problems uh, that's a global thing um, there would be less shipping on a, the global uh, uh, lines you know, in terms of across the oceans and all that stuff, mm-hmm. so um, uh, I think it's worth you know, kind of keeping a close eye on port activity. Um, I, it's too soon to say with one quarter's worth of data, you know, because of you know, the way the monitor is, is constructed and the way the language is written in that report, it's a comparison primarily to the previous quarter. Uh, so a one quarter change in which things kind of, you know, kind of step back and take a deep breath and just kind of get recharged. Maybe that's what's happening. Um, you know, so one quarter does not set a trend. Let's keep our eye on the port. You know, generally speaking, uh, port activity has been solid and strong and is likely to continue to be solid and strong in the future. Let's see what the second quarter numbers look like. I think the early data that we have for the second quarter looks very promising in terms of recovery and continued growth. But so there's certainly nothing to panic about that with respect. Right. No, no. That's what I was saying. It's just, I think there's just a kind of a one quarter little bump Um, and we'll see what it looks like in the second quarter, but I don't think there's any reason to be concerned about port activity whatsoever uh, in the long run. Housing,
1: you look at permits and construction starts. And of course we know we have a housing shortage here as it is we see this stuff in paper the, the apartment complexes mega subdivisions that one that rich Hills about 10 10,000 pounds it construction uh, and housing from what you're seeing from from all the data uh, are we going to be able to keep up at are well, going to, to catch up and then keep up
0: the right answer. the first yeah first part is, is catching up um it will be difficult because of the uh, limited availability of labor in the construction trades um a trend. <laughs> right it's always coming back to labor right which is I and mean, in, in a very broad picture um you know construction trades you know and industrial type trades whether you know welding or plumbing or carpentry you know the workforce in those sectors is aging out right with the baby boomers retiring and you know those the folks with a whole entire careers worth of knowledge are beginning to retire and have been retiring for the past ten years, and in terms of the pipeline of individuals being attracted, the young folks who would have otherwise be attracted into that sector, that that supply pipeline of individuals is is drying up. So um, the amount of knowledge and experience that we're losing in those trade sectors is 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 stunning and we're not developing you know re- suitable you know, replacements in terms of the volume that we need to support significant and huge and continued growth in, in housing and construction so i think we're constrained on the supply side um, would builders like to build more homes absolutely right the, the demand is present it's easy to see um it, it it's it's impossible not to see that the additional demand for housing and whether that's single family homes or multifamily unit apartment complexes, etc. Um, it's just that the labor that isn't required to to build those uh residential structures is just it's not there. We're seeing some slow increase in construction employment, but um, believe it or not, we are still around. 13, 1400 jobs below the amount of construction employment that we had at the peak of the housing boom back in 2005 and 2006. We had over 10,000 people employed in the construction sector, and we're only still at 8,700 now. So, um, even if we're still just what that means, right, is that we simply don't have the labor to expand housing um, at the rate that we were. What fifteen years ago, right? So um, it's yeah. Would we like to build them. Sure, uh, the, the catch up process is going to be difficult. Uh, we can we we can authorize building permits all we want. Um, I think across the river, uh, is it Hampton and Jasper County combined? I think you know maybe as long as five or ten years ago they had authorized the issuance of up to. I think it was a hundred thousand permits. It was, it was an ungodly amount of, of permits, but that just because the government authorizes those permits to be issued doesn't mean they're going to happen overnight. Right. So in the long run, it's going to be a game of, of catch up. Um, and what that means is that the housing prices are going to remain elevated and rental market prices are going to remain elevated too, as people get priced out of the housing market. Uh, we have significant in-migration from folks who are coming from housing markets in which the the median price of a home is higher than it is here, and so folks coming down uh, to our or into our market from wherever they're coming from, you know, they they may be looking at our housing prices and go, oh, that's very reasonable. I want to buy one. Well, well I'll, I'll buy two. Well, you know, they may not be buying two, but still, the idea is that. You know, on a relative basis, our housing is still relatively less expensive than it is in, say, the New England market in general. Um, and so, our home prices look very attractive to those individuals. So, it's—I don't see a housing market crash in our local economy. I see maybe the the rate of appreciation in prices slowing, but I don't. At this point, I don't see the fundamentals being in place for uh, a 2008-2009-10 housing market crash. I just don't see that. That was a very different set of fundamental uh, economic circumstances than we are observing right now.
1: You touched on I my fear. That's the whole idea is as interest rates rise, and if the Fed pushes up another 3 whole point, your mortgage rates right now, I think, are in the, on the 30-year. Right. You know, if they push higher, that's going to mean a lot of people that want to buy a house no longer afford to buy a house, which means they're going to be renting. we have already got a rental shortage. That's going to drive rental prices up. That's kind of what i sit here and scratch my head about how that can be dealt with so We can see people basically living further out of the see a lot of roommate situations. There's going to be a lot of, there's already a lot of that. Does yeah. that accelerate or expand?
0: I, I think so. Right, um, you know, you'll you'll end up doubling up. You'll see a lot of what I think they're called uh, uh, households in which you have unrelated adults living with each other, which is the roommate situation. We'll see more of that, and uh, the way that it works in real estate is the the further away you are from the urban core, the lower the land prices are. So you trade commuting costs for land prices as you, um, you know, commuting costs go up, as land prices move down further away from the core, you'll see uh, more development in outlying areas where the land prices and home prices are going to be lower than they are closer in. So, um, you know, the, to the extent that that exacerbates the situation for, you know, workforce development mm-hmm. housing, that makes it harder for for the market to bring within close proximity to the urban core. It makes it harder for the market to bring uh, what's referred to as affordable housing. Um, that's going to be, a, a, an ever increasing strain in the housing market. That's not going to go away. That's a longer term problem that we'll have to, to figure out how to solve.
1: That's all for this episode of the commute podcast. Thanks one last time to our presenting sponsor, national office systems. Before I sign off, remember that we publish new commute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Whatever your interests, you will find interviews of interest in our archives. Search The Commute with That Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app. The Commute returns soon. We look forward to talking to you then. Goodbye.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left...